This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. It's Ken Campbell. It's Ryan Kennedy. And Groundhog Day was last month, but this podcast is going to start with a Groundhog Day feel because we have to talk about the Buffalo Sabres again. I know we talked about the Pagulas last week, the 10-year anniversary of them owning the team, but so much has happened just in the last week with this, you know, Jeff Skinner being a healthy scratch and you know, Taylor Hall's got one goal in 19 games, the weird stuff with Ralph Kruger and Jack Eichel telling different stories about when Eichel was hurt. It's just, it's a nonstop tire fire. We can't ignore it. We have to get deeper into this. So I guess what I want to ask you guys to start this podcast is where is this team going to be by the time next season starts? What's going to look different? Will Jeff Skinner be gone? Will Taylor Hall be gone? Will Jack Eichel be gone? Will Ralph Kruger be gone? Will the Key Bank Center just be a giant a cinder where there used to be an arena? Let's start with you, Kenneth, because I know you wrote about Ralph Kruger a little bit yesterday. What do you see happening in the near future for this franchise? Well, in the, in the near future, I see if this continues, I can't see how they can continue with Ralph Kruger behind the bench. Um, you know, it's one thing when they're bad and, and they're, they're, they're playing like they're, they've given up on the coach. It's another one when he loses credibility, which he's, which he's done uh, with the cycle thing. I mean, to me, that's not as big a deal. I mean, coaches lie about injuries all the time. I, you know, I, I don't really put a lot of stock into what any coach says about the, the extent of injury of any player because I just assume he's lying, which, which will be, I think will be different when once uh once the nhl starts making associations with all these gambling websites and all that i I think there's going to be more they're going to demand more accurate injury disclosure so but to me that's not the big deal the big deal is is you know it's just not working i mean it's just not working with ralph Kruger. um they're not buying what he's selling um he seemed to have eichel on board for a lot of time for a lot of the time. And, uh, and now it doesn't look like Jack Eichel's on board at all, given the fact that they contradicted each other about his injury in New Jersey. Um, yeah, no. So I, I see that as the short-term thing long-term. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know why you would even entertain the thought of re-signing Taylor Hall right now. Like to me, that's just a guy that you stay away from completely unless he's willing to come back on a short-term deal for, for a little money. Um, and Jack Eichel, well, you know, I mean, if he's going to, if Buffalo's going to trade Jack Eichel, to me, they've got to get a King's ransom in return. Like to me, if it is with the New York Rangers, I tell Jeff Gordon, okay, look, you pick, you pick one of Alexis Lafreniere, um, uh, uh, Igor, uh, Igor Shesterkin or Adam Fox, you pick one of those guys, you pick one of Keandre Miller and Capo Caco, you pick one of those guys, plus you give us Vitaly Kravtsov, plus you give us a first round pick. Like to me, they, the Buffalo Sabres cannot afford to get fleeced on a trade for Jack Eichel. He's under contract for another five years. He's not going to quit playing hockey. You can take your time on this trade. And, and I think that they, they, they should think of dealing him and they, they may very well do that. But I think they've got to, they've, they've absolutely got to get a, a good package of, of established players, prospects and draft picks in return. Mm. Yeah. It's funny when I think about Ralph Kruger, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if he's just a really good salesman, you know, Ken mentioned his talks with Eichel early on. And, and I remember that Eichel was super stoked about things of things in different ways. And, and even recently, you know, the Buffalo press, 
asked Kruger if he needed another plan. And he's like, oh, no, my plan works. I've seen it work. It's like, where? Sure. You haven't seen it work in hockey. I mean, I didn't follow soccer because soccer. Um, but I don't remember him winning the premiership. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, I mean, he's clearly a confident guy and he's got his own way of doing things. But, I, I, yeah, it's obviously not working. The problem is the Sabres haven't had a coach last more than two years since Lindy Ruff got canned. And that was, I think, 2013, if I'm not mistaken. So they need consistency. And unfortunately, it feels like they're going to have to make one more move in that regard. And I think they're going to have to hire somebody established, you know, whether it's Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, or someone of that ilk, Claude Julien is on the market now. Somebody that's, you know, quote unquote boring. Um, but when I say boring, I mean somebody that is an effective NHL coach that has a long track record who can come in, have instant respect in the dressing room, and just give some semblance of normalcy to this crew. As for the roster, I, I think you hold on to Jack Eichel. Uh, you try to make amends as best you can. He's obviously frustrated, and you can understand why. I think Taylor Hall is a perfect trade deadline um, asset where it seems like, look, he didn't work out with us, but as Ken said, we're a tire fire. He, he won a heart trophy. You know he can score 35, 40 goals in the NHL season. Let's work something out. You get, you know, first right to uh, re-sign him in the summer if you get him at the deadline. Uh, let's make something happen here. And the Sabres, I mean, they just have to cut their losses, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting with, with Ralph Kruger, you know, I, I kind of feel like he's dined out on Team Europe and he's a likable guy. But there was a magic when he took that Team Europe at the World Cup 2016, and it was like, wow, who is this Ralph Kruger? He, he didn't get a proper chance with the Oilers, and he found this magic, but maybe it was a fluke. That was a tiny sample size, and I feel like he's carried that with him a long way. And if you look at his track record, it's still only 136 games, 471 points percentage. He's never been in the playoffs, and, and I'm not one to really blame Kruger at least at the top of the list. I think, you know, we talked about the problems with ownership, but, you know, this team has Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner and Victor Olsen and Sam Reinhart and Rasmus Dahlin. Like, it shouldn't be this bad. You know, yes, these guys have underachieved, but when you have a, a roster that looks decent like that on paper, you add Eric Stahl and Cody Eakin up the middle, this team should be better than, than what we've seen. And so maybe you do have to look at the coach at least a little bit. I don't think Kruger's immune to blame. And if you're looking at Taylor Hall, I don't, you know, there's talk that, that the Sabres and Taylor Hall are, are talking extension. Uh, why? For yeah. both parties. Why would Taylor Hall want to lower himself like Arnold Dand of Terminator two into the hot magma? <laughs> like, why do you want to be part of this? You don't. Do you really Taylor Hall? And also for the Sabres, you know, Hall, he's delivered one goal in 19 games for eight, $8 million. There's not, fit I, I think from a hockey perspective in terms of what buffalo wants from him either so I, I don't see any reason for these two parties to stay together it's an it's a slam dunk trade deadline rental trade you've got to sell off taylor hall and as for eichel it's interesting you know there's been a lot of talk about the rangers but i think what the sabers may have to do is find a deal that isn't just all futures and, and projected production and get at least one bona fide roster player so if you look at the new york rangers Who's someone who has one year left on his deal, who has been struggling this year, who's a who's a legitimate top six forward, who's a center, Mika Zibanejad. And I wonder if you have to consider looking to get 
Zavanna Jad is part of a package for Jack Eichel. And this is the best time ever to buy low on him. I'm sure he's going to be fine. But right now, his numbers are a bit down. Obviously, there's more pressure on him to perform with Panarin gone. And maybe you can steal Sabanajad as part of a package. Sabanajad and a first rounder and Keandre Miller or something like that for Jack Eichel, I think would be a pretty fair return. And then, you know, if Buffalo gets a, a package built around him, it's like, okay, maybe they can stay competitive immediately because Sabanajad is a good player. And I still think it would be a win for the Rangers as well. So that's kind of the, the type of trade I, ha- I have in mind. Uh, I am worried that the, <laughs> that the Pagulas talked about getting out of the restaurant business this week. So they're going to focus more on sports. Uh, we don't want them to be more hands-on. So it's not a great sign. We talked about it last week. I won't get into it too much more, but they got to be more hands-off. Uh, so we I saw over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Go, yeah, Ken, go, go ahead. I, I actually was talking to a Pittsburgh radio station this week, and I, I put forth the following scenario, and I think it's a really good one. I think the Buffalo Sabres scream out for Jim Rutherford to become the president of hockey operations. Um, Kevin Adams doesn't have a lot of experience. I think he needs someone like that in his corner. I think he needs someone to show him the ropes, to help him with trades, to sort of help him deal with all of this, you know, sort of chaos that's around him, you know, and you look, I mean, you know, Bill Guerin, Tom Fitzgerald, Jason Botterill, these guys all worked. I believe they all worked under, under Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh. Um, so he's got a track record of, of doing that sort of thing. So I, I think this is a situation that just screams out for uh, Jim Rutherford to come in as not as the GM, you know, because he's he's already done that and been there and done that and won the Cubs. But to be kind of like what Brian Burke is in in Pittsburgh right now is one of these president of hockey operations that helps this younger guy. This this we don't know what whether Kevin Adams is going to be a good GM, bad GM or indifferent, but. I'm sure he could use the help right now. Good points, Kenny. Um, we saw on the weekend, Jordan Bennington has the bizarre meltdown where he gets pulled four goals and nine shots against the Sharks. And Bennington decides to just go after anyone he can reach. He takes a swipe at Radim Simic and then he takes a, a, swipe, a shot at Eric Carlson and goes after Devin Dubnik. A bizarre tantrum from a guy I think who's known for being such a cool customer. And I've seen a, a bunch of hashtag narratives flying around. It's like, oh, you know, I think there's some old school types that would say, oh, this is the heart of a lion. You know, he's showing that he cares. Uh, but the other school of thought is, you know, you don't want to see your goalie in a contract year right now melting down when you need to, to really evaluate him and find out that he's worth resigning. So I'm curious where you guys land. We'll start with you, Ryan. Do you like seeing this fire from Bennington or do you think it's a sign of, of bad things to come? And where do you land on just what the Blues should do about his contract? Yeah. I mean, to me, it seemed like a bit of a hissy fit. And, you know, they asked Dubnik about it after the game, you know, what he said to Bennington. And, you know, Dubnik, who's a big dude, was apparently, you know, he said, I, I told him, hey, man, you're 165 pounds. Like, what are you going to do? Um, so it, to me, it was a bit of theater. I, I, I'm sure Bennington was actually upset, but I'm sure he's also glad that he didn't fight Devin Dubnik. <clears throat> um, you know, maybe he could fight Eric Carlson. Um but yeah, anyways, um, you know what? There's so much going on in the NHL right now that leads me to believe that goalies are like NFL running backs. You should not pay them. Um, not in terms of big contracts. And, you know, Bennington, I mean, this is a terrible timing for him because his contract is coming up. If I'm the Blues, you know, right now, Bennington is literally an average goalie like if you look at goals saved above average he's literally like 
0.30. You know, he's right in the middle. Um, obviously, he won them a Stanley Cup. You know, obviously, last year he did not win them a Stanley Cup uh, and did not play particularly well in the playoffs. If I'm the Blues, uh, I, I say to Bennington and his camp, look, we're going to offer you a one-year, $5 million contract. If things go well and you really find your game, then we'll be more confident and we can talk about something more long-term where it's sort of, let's say, a five-year deal. Uh, because honestly, you look around the league right now, and I know we're going to talk about this later, like how many goalies do you really trust? You know, Toronto just shut out Edmonton back-to-back with Jack Campbell and Michael Hutchinson and yeah. net. Frederick Anderson has been Toronto's worst goalie this year. And he is nominally the, the big ticket, big money starter. So when you take all that into consideration, you know, you don't have a lot of hand if you're a goalie right now, unless you are one of the true elites. And you see what is happening in Montreal with Carey Price. You see what's happening in Florida with Chris Dreger, uh, far usurping Sergei Bobrovsky over the past year and a half. And it just makes me think, like, why would you sign a goalie to anything longer than like, like three-year contract right now. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you know, guys, I'm convinced that, you know, the way a fight always turns around a game, I'm convinced that what, that what uh, Jordan Bennington did actually inspired the Blues to come back and win that game seven to six over the San Jose Sharks. No, I don't. I was going to say, I was like, Ken, that you? <laughs> no, I thought it was a stupid entitled temper tantrum by a goof. I thought it, I thought it was just, I, it was just stupid. It was just stupid. And, and, and I have, I have no time for that stuff. I remember somebody, somebody, I think it was Jamie Rivers who, who used to play for the blues and now is one of the radio guys or something says, give me 20 Jordan Binningtons. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Maybe you'll find one of them that can stop a puck. If you get 20 of them, you know, um, or put all 20 of them in the net at the same time, yeah. you know, maybe then he'll show some consistency. No, I, I, I thought it was stupid. Anyways, with respect to long-term with Jordan Bennington, I, I agree with Ryan. I think we've all learned, you know, that you don't give goalies long-term contracts with a lot of money. You just don't. I, I, I've been saying this for years, for probably the last decade almost now. I, I just feel like we're guessing with goalies now. Like, we're just, we're just guessing. And you're just hoping that your guy is good in that year that your team is good, you know, and you can put it all together. Like, who would have thought that Marc-Andre Fleury was going to play like he's played this year. Who would have thought that? And Kevin Lankinen. Yeah. I mean, and Devin Dubnik, when he was picked off the, the, the scrap heap behind a St. Hubert's and Gatineau, you know, to play goal for the Minnesota wild and then goes on this run. Like we're just guessing with goalies. So, you know, as far as Jordan Bennington, yes, he won them a cup. Yes. You, you, maybe you do reward him for that. You know, I would have no problem with him making, you know, getting a three-year deal at about the money that he's making now, you know, about the same. He's what, four and a half, maybe a little bit more than that. I'd have no problem with that, but anything beyond that, no chance, no chance because, you know, just walk Jordan Bennington, just walk because somewhere out there, we don't even know who he is. He might be Alex Stalock for all we know is going to come in and take your place. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, that St. Hubert in Gatineau, that's a great St. Hubert. <laughs> great, great reference. Now I'm hungry. Been there several times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> I'm hungry. Damn. What's, what's concerning is, you know, the latest reports coming out of St. Louis. I think it was Jeremy Rutherford uh, from The Athletic, who's also our, our, our St. Louis correspondent. 
uh, he was claiming or, or reporting that the the expected contract is going to be five to seven years and AAV, I think in like six and a half million dollar range, which to okay. me is a little scary because if you look at Jordan Bennington, this is a guy who started, he's still, even though he's a couple years removed from winning a Stanley cup, he's got 97 starts, has not even started hundred games in the NHL. And you look at the trends I wrote about this, this week, you know, the five and five, the, the even strength, save percentage, the high danger, same percentage, medium danger, save percentage, all those different metrics are all trending down, down, down back or, or from year to year to year each each of those so he's going in the wrong direction he was phenomenal he had a historic debut in the nhl when he started 30 games in 2018-19 won the stanley cup he was unbelievable but we're seeing a little bit of a decline in bennington it was pointed out to me on twitter it was a good point that the blues have been really ravaged by injuries but what i was arguing there and i still believe this is just you should play chicken right now. See how long you can take it with Bennington until you have to make a decision because the sample size is small. If you look at what Jacob Markstrom, for example, signed this past summer, six years, $6 million per year. Well, he had started 256 career games compared to 97 for Bennington. We just don't really know who Bennington is. We've gotten one half season that was phenomenal, one season last year that was pretty good. This year, he's, he was doing quite well until he's hit this recent slump the last three or four games. We just don't know who he is yet. And to me... There's just no reason to jump on a contract right now. And yes, it means taking a risk. Maybe he has a phenomenal stretch to end the season. He's going to be worth more on the open market. It's going to cost more to re-sign him. But that's a good problem to have. If he's playing that well, maybe he's taking you to another Stanley Cup and you want to be in that situation. But right now, I, I just think it's too risky. He's just too volatile. And the sample size is just, it's quite tiny. Uh, we saw Patrick Kane with the Blackhawks get his 400th career goal this past week. And there's been a lot of discussion debate on whether he is the best U.S. born player of all time. Uh, that would exclude Brett Hull, who was born in Belleville, Ontario, of course. So if we exclude him from the discussion, I'm curious where you guys land. I see one very worthy challenger to Patrick Kane, who is not a forward, but uh, I want to see where you guys land here as well. So, Ken, I know you've been writing a little bit about Patrick Kane this week. So tell me what you think. Is Patrick Kane the greatest U.S. born player of all time already? Right. Well, I think I think you've you've kind of hit on your guy without saying it. It's Chris Chelios. But I, I think another guy you have to put in that in that uh, equation is Mike Madano as well. Um, but I do believe that 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 Patrick Kane is the best U.S. player of all time. Um, I'm going to go I'm going to go really far on this. Like, I think he's the best Chicago Blackhawk of all time. I, I, and that includes Bobby Hull, Stan Mikita, Tony Esposito, Glenn Hall. Uh, Jonathan Taves, all those guys. I, you know, just to me, you know, if you have a statue up of Bobby Hall and Stan Makita outside the United Center, like, why don't you just start? Why don't you just put out the tender now for the Patrick Kane statue to start being built, right? Because even if he just decided today that he wasn't going to play tonight or ever again, he'd be the greatest Blackhawk ever, in my opinion. And you'd have that statue up of him, like, you know, uh, you know, Calder, Hart, Art Ross. Con Smythe, you know, driver of play. Like, like, have you? I don't know if you've watched much of Chicago this year, but he's playing with Pia Suter and and Alex Debrinket. Like, he absolutely just drives that line. Every time that line gains possession, it's him carrying it over the blue line. Like mm -hmm. to me, he's he's having a phenomenal career. Maybe or sorry, phenomenal year. Maybe the best of his career right now. Um, and I and I just think you know, by the time it's all said and done. Like he's going to have 500 probably, I, I would think. Um, he's going to have somewhere in the range of 1,500 points. He's going to, he probably won't have any more cups um, unless he goes and plays somewhere else. Um, but to me, this guy, 
has been phenomenal since day one. And there's never been a year where you've said, oh, geez, you know, Patrick Kane wasn't too good this year. You know, I mean, he's just been great every year. So to me, that that does it for me. Yeah, I agree. It's the sustained excellence that we've seen. And I think that's the true mark of a superstar. You know, you see it with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, you know, where they've had such long careers, but um, they were so good for so long. And, and, you know, we always talk about the prime years of an NHLer, but when it comes to the truly elite, they kind of extend it sort of five, 10 years more than anybody else. And I think that's what we've seen in particular with Patrick Kane this season. Because, I mean, I think we all remember, we thought Chicago was going to be dead meat all year. You know, no Jonathan Taves to start the year, no Kirby Doc. They were already sort of in the midst of a rebuild. Um, and Patrick Kane has just put them on his back. Obviously, he's had help, you know, with Lankanen and, you know, Suter and Debrinket have been uh, great, you know, alongside him. But, you know, we're talking about a player who, when his team needed him the most, he stepped up. And, as Ken has said, you know, he has done that so consistently in his career. You know, if you look at the final numbers, you know, I don't know if they're going to be the best gross numbers amongst American players because, you know, you had guys like Joey Mullen that played in the 80s where you could sort of trip and fall and get 100 points in the NHL. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying Joey Mullen was, was that player, but you could really pile up stats. So, you know, I think you have to sort of look at, you know, the, the adjusted points uh, for Patrick Kane. And, and it's going to be very impressive. And, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, obviously. And, you know, I mean, Chelios obviously has the, the very long uh, career. But just in terms of sustained excellence, I think Patrick Kane, uh, you can't beat him. And, you know, maybe one day Austin Matthews is the best ever, but he's got a long way to go before he can match what Patrick Kane has accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Matthews has a really good chance to be the, the top U.S. born goal scorer of all time. He's already on track. But but Kane, the funny thing with Kane, even if we do adjusted stats, the, the volume numbers, Kane's still going to be the leader. I think when he's done, because of you know, even if you look at Mike Medano, some of the best challengers, those guys played a lot of their careers in the dead puck era, whereas Patrick Kane was born into the new NHL. So his numbers overall, I think, are still going to be strong in any era. And to me, to me, he's undoubtedly the, the top U.S. born forward of all time. You know, he's a first team All Star three times. He's got a Hart Trophy. He's got got a Calder Trophy. Con Smythe, three Stanley Cups. He's won the scoring title. He's checked every box of career accomplishments. So to me, it's not even close. In terms of even if you, if you compare him to Mike Medano as the best challenger, Medano never won any individual awards in his career. Nothing, right? Not, I don't think he even won the Calder. He won the Stanley Cup, didn't win the Con Smythe, didn't win the Hart Trophy, didn't win a scoring title, didn't win Rocket Bouchard. None of those things. He had a fantastic career. But Medano was probably... He, peaked at a top five or 10 player at his position, whereas Kane has had years where he was the king of the castle, at least one, maybe more. And if this year he wins a heart trophy, which he's in the discussion, I think that would really cement him. To me, I, I still think Chris Chelios has the, the mild edge. Chelios, I think, you know, we talk about longevity. Chelios is a guy who was a first team all-star and a Norris trophy runner up when he was like 40 years old or 41 years old. He's a five-time first-team All-Star. He won three Norris trophies. He won multiple Stanley Cups. So he had the longevity, he had the numbers. And, you know, if we look at relative to position, we this year or, or in this, this calendar year, I guess you could call it 2020, we published Hockey News, the top 100 defensemen of all time, and we graded out Chris Chelios as the number 10 defenseman of all time. I don't think we'd put Patrick Kane as the number 10 forward of all time, at least not yet. So relative to where we rank him as a publication at, at 
their positions. I still think I'd give the nod to Chelios, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kane surpasses him by the time the careers are done. And it's interesting, Ken, you know, talking about the best Blackhawk of all time, maybe five years ago, I know we did a special edition um, where we were ranking the top 50 by franchise. I remember you and I getting a big fight and I was defending like Hall and Makita and you were on the Kane and Taves train, but it's funny now I would agree with you. I think Kane has surpassed all Blackhawks. He's accomplished a lot more even since then. And I think now there's no doubting that he's number one. So I can see yes, grasshopper. <laughs> but it was ironic that I was defending the old guys and you were defending the young guys. Who knew? That's good. We're not fitting ourselves into a box. So let's talk. We're going to keep on the coaching train because there's just a lot of coaches that are kind of being floated around as possibly being on the hot seat. The other is John Tortorella. We know he's the longest tenured coach in Blue Jackets history. He's the winningest coach in Blue Jackets history. He's part of the most successful era in each of his full seasons. He's brought them to the playoffs. They, they made the playoffs, I think, twice in their first 15 years pre-Tortorella. Post-Tortorella, if you don't count the season where he took over partway, they're four for four in playoff berths. And yet they've lost five games in a row. There's some talk that Tortorella's shelf life might be running out. We've always talked about him as one of those Mike Keenan type of coaches where it really works when players buy in. And then when they don't, it's over. So again, I want to give you the floor first, Ken, because I know you wrote about Tortorella a little bit. Do you think his time is coming or can the Blue Jackets survive? And will he survive with his GM, who of course stands by him pretty consistently, Yarmo Kekalainen? Yeah, I mean, well, I think a lot will be dictated by what happens at the end of the season because his contract's up. Um, so he's either, you know, Columbus is either going to say then, uh, no thanks, we're not interested, we're moving in another direction, or maybe Tortorella gets an offer fr from somewhere and he moves on uh, because he's a free agent. So I think that that sort of remains to be seen. As far as the shelf life, yeah, I mean, like, I I, I agree with what you're saying, Matt. Like, like John Tortorella easily has been the most successful coach in the history of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And it's not close. Um, you know, I mean, uh, he's, he's accomplished more there than, than all of his other predecessors combined. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It just feels different this time to me. And, and that's all I'm, that's all I can say. Like it doesn't, I'm not, you know, I'm just reading tea leaves here. It just, it just feels different this time, you know, like, and, and to me, it just seems like, playing for John Tortorella would be just exhausting. Yes. Don't you think? Like it would be exhausting to play for him all the time, you know? And, 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 and so I, I just, I don't know if that, you know, to me, to me, the, 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 the Columbus Blue Jackets are not going to be a real, a serious contender until they stop being the plucky underdog that, you know, outworks everybody. Like, I mean, you've got to be that sometimes, but like, like every time Columbus does something, we're surprised, you know, yes. every time, you know, it's because they came up from nowhere and, and they may very well end up doing that again this year because John Tortorella's teams in Columbus have done that before. And they may pull it all together and go on some kind of wicked streak in the last 20 games and get into the playoffs and win around and, and, and almost win the second round. I can see that happening for sure. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. Like, I just feel like Columbus needs to just, stop being that kind of team like just be a team that's good you know and and i like i said I, I just i don't know um and the guys who really like them the players who like them love them and i think people in columbus love them but i, I just get the sense of playing for him between how you have to play the game all the time whether you're up by 10 goals or down by 10 goals you know the, the drama that comes into the room i think he's one of these coaches that feels he has to create sort of conflict and drama all the time 
Um, I just find, I just think it would be really exhausting to play for a guy like that. I find it very hard to get a read on Tortorella. So I'm going to say that at the end of the season, you know, because his contract is, is up, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he just sort of like walked away and said like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with coaching. And then like one year from now, he gets an, like, he gets another coaching job somewhere else. Uh, you know, like if the Rangers, if David Quinn doesn't work out, he goes like to the Rangers or something. Um, just because like, I, I, I can never guess what Tortorella is going to do. Um, but if we keep it sort of in the realm of what's more likely, I, I do I do still think there's a path for Columbus with Tortorella, um, but it has to be an evolving one. And what I mean by that is, you know, they, they essentially have to be the St. Louis Blues and they have to turn Patrick Laine into Vladimir Tarasenko, um, which is, you know, a guy who is obviously an elite scorer, but, you know, is, is not... Um, you know, an anchor defensively. And, you know, Line is a young guy. They can, they certainly have the, the staff and the tools to, to teach him. Um, but I, I think that's the path, you know, Ken talked about, you know, they can't always be the plucky underdog. That's their route. You look at St. Louis, big, heavy team, you know, lots of guys that are very skilled, maybe not a true superstar, uh, you know, well-coached, and, and that got them a Stanley Cup. I, I think Columbus could certainly be that team with maybe a couple of tweaks, but they've got some, some really good young kids coming up, uh, Liam Foody being the most obvious one. So I, I think it's possible, um, but they're going to have to evolve. And, you know, if, if Tortorella can evolve uh, just a little bit, not too much, uh, I, I think it's doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys raised some good points. And, and you know... I- what really strikes a chord of me is the idea of the Jackets identity. And I think this team is headed for, or at least, or maybe even in the midst of a serious identity crisis, right? So they had the plucky underdog mentality, like you said, Ken, I remember talking to Nick Felino about how they somehow made the playoffs last year. Like, e- even before the bubble, they were in a playoff spot with so many injuries and they were so proud of it. Felino was so proud of it, but now you've seen an influx of some high skill players that are less about that identity, like Patrick Liney and Max Domi, and they don't really fit with Tortorella. If you look at the overall structure of the Blue Jackets, you still have more Tortorella types than not. So as they are currently constructed, I still think Tortorella is the best fit when you have guys like you know Nick Felino and Boone Jenner, all those types of guys, David Savard, but if the Blue Jackets start to struggle and you, you, know, you have guys like Savard and Felino that are pending UFAs, and if they get traded, then you start to remake the roster, then I could see Tortorella no longer being a fit. But this season, as long as this team thinks it's contending, I still think Tortorella is your guy. I can't see someone else coming in with a different mentality and changing the way this team plays because there's too many guys that are you know, those physically fit bangers that just play that style. I, think, I don't think you can turn the ship around. I think you have to let Tortorella go down with the ship now. But if Yarmo Kekalainen decides to make some big changes in the offseason and Torella no longer fits the identity, and like you said, Ken, you have to start trying to build a team that has more skill, then I think, yes, I think Torella's time's over and you have to bring in a guy who coaches a different style. So I would say he he gets the rest of the season, especially because you said this a couple of weeks ago, Ryan, you know, Yarmo Kekalainen's mentality is very old school, gritty, and I think he's very loyal to Torella because they share a philosophy. So it fits the rest of the season, but beyond, I don't know. I think Columbus is going to be a team that has a really wide range of outcomes when we get to the offseason. Uh, we saw over the weekend uh, the PWHPA, the, the Dream Gap Tour more specifically, 
and sponsored by Secret. It always sounds like it's the Secret Dream Gap Tour, which is ironic because sometimes it's hard to find where the games are being played. Except we finally saw a really good step for the Dream Gap Tour. Games played at Madison Square Garden, really good showcase of talent. Next week, it's going to be games in Chicago, nationally televised. It was on CBC. It was on the NHL Network. It was on Sportsnet, the second game. So we see a huge jump in publicity. It's the first time we've seen the Dream Gap Tour in action uh, this season in, in the calendar year of 2021. But what I want to know is, do you see this as a sign of progress or does it not move the needle? Because I, I have conflicted thoughts on it. I want to know if you guys share the same thoughts or different thoughts. So Ryan, we'll start with you. I think it's very positive momentum and the fact that they're going from New York to Chicago. And I believe Toronto's coming up uh, after that in some capacity, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's positive momentum because it's keeping the game in the headlines. And, you know, it's interesting. I was on a conference call with uh, Angela James, the, the legend, um, just last week and you know she received the order of hockey in canada uh which is a pretty prestigious award and you know she was talking about the need for consistency when it comes to the women's game that you know there has to be something sustainable and obviously that's a league uh a united league and because you know obviously you have the dream gap tour uh which is not a league uh, but then you have the nwhl which is a league but doesn't have the same talent as the dream gap tour um, obviously, you know, there has to be a, you know, you have to have all the best women's players in one place on teams that you can identify right away with uniforms that you can buy at a shop and, you know, a, a schedule that people can follow. So in getting this exposure in, in getting these, um, you know, these high profile gigs on network, on, you know, on, on these big networks, that's great momentum. The key for the dream gap and, and basically for women's hockey overall is to capitalize on that momentum. And, you know, I don't know what the machinations are right now behind the scenes, but you know, the end result has to be a unified league with big corporate backing like secret and the NHL's backing purely for infrastructure purposes for, you know, marketing contacts for network contacts, it all has to come together. It, it's a tall order, but that's what they need. Well, first, full disclosure, guys, I didn't watch any of it. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm, I honestly, I saw some highlights. I, I assume the product was pretty good. Um, but I think you really touched on something, Ryan, and that's the identity of the teams. Like, like, what is this Dream Gap Tour? Like, I, I, so, so all of a sudden I'm finding out that it was Minnesota against New Hampshire or something in these games. Like, okay, is it a tour? Is it all-star teams? Is it, like, are these women on teams that they play against each other in a league? What, like, what exactly is it? I have no idea, really, what this is all about. Like, like is this Dream, Dream Gap Tour going to be like a league and they're going to play a playoffs and have a, stand, have a, have a champion at the end? I, I don't know. And, and they do I, have standings. They have standings, but the rules are different. Like there's different points for yeah. a win, a loss, overtime loss. You get right. extra points for hat tricks. Like there, admittedly, I, I do find the rules a bit confusing, um, and I don't think it helps publicity. Yeah. But I'll, I'll get into that. You, you continue. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of cool. But but like I so I assume there's going to be some semblance of a season. There's going to be a playoffs. There's going to be a championship. I don't know. I don't even know what this is. And 
and I've said it from the start. I just, I don't know what can be accomplished by not playing. I mean, they are playing, but it, it just, it just doesn't seem to me like there's any sort of rhyme or reason to it. It just feels like they're kind of going on the fly here. Um, you know, that being said, they did get on network television. They are getting a lot of exposure. Those are all great things. Uh, I, I think that, you know, the NWHL did women's hockey absolutely zero favors um, by conducting their season the way they did and having it implode the way it did and handling it the way they did. I, I'm not, you know, I mean, I know there's a, a separation of church and state there, but I'm not sure that fans can separate, you know, the, the NWHL from the PW. HPA, um, you know, so, and, and obviously, you know, there's, there's just, there's no league, there's no identification with, you know, a fan base, whatever. I think you're going to need something like that. And yeah, I'll probably stop there before I get myself into trouble. Okay. Fair. I'll, I'll take the <laughs> baton from you then. Um, yeah. I, I think if you look at it in a vacuum, sure. It's a positive thing because we know, and it's, it's no disrespect to the MWHL, but it's a known thing. All the best players in the world are on the dream gap tour. This is where all the, you know, the elite of the elite are. And we saw it, you know, we saw the showcase of the all-star game in St. Louis last year. We saw over the weekend, you know, Brianna Decker having a monster game. It's fun to get to see their true elite talents doing their thing out there. And that's exciting. And any publicity is a good thing. It's great that there's another high profile event and, I think that's all good, but it's a question of how much it moves the needle. I'm still a little bit skeptical because of the fact, you know, if you put yourself in a layperson's shoes, so Ryan, you mentioned that the event after Chicago is going to be in Toronto. I don't know that it is because I cannot find it. I went through the website trying to find the schedule, trying to find when the next event is, and I don't know. And and it, as a, a hockey journalist, if I can't figure that out. It doesn't bode well for fans. I just think from a visibility standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, it's still kind of, it feels like these games are floating out there yet at the same time, we've got standings. So there's sort of a league, but I don't know when the league is even playing its next games after next week. So I worry that, you know, when there's these long gaps between events, it's out of sight, out of mind again. So it's, it's a good start and it's a great, you know, way to, to get the names back into the lexicon before the Olymp Olympics next year in Beijing. But I still think it's not enough. It can't be a be all end all. It's got to be a means to an end. And, and the end, I still think, is the unified league. So it does help, but I, I don't think it moves the needle, especially when it's still unless I'm just blind and I'm looking in the wrong spot, it's not very structured. Like I literally do not know when the next games are after this weekend. I could not find them. Yes. I could have contacted someone, but I just, as an exercise wanted to act like a fan would, a fan wouldn't contact the league to find out a fan would try and search a regular way and look at the website and I could not find it. So I don't think it bodes well. Uh, let's do some mailbag questions. Got some good ones this week. First one is from Mika Hakala, a very Finnish human being. Uh, and Mika wants to know if you voted for the Vezina right now, who would be on your ballot? Well, we know we wouldn't vote for the Vezina in real life because uh, the writers don't vote on the Vezina. It's the GMs. So it's a fun exercise to pretend we could vote on the Vezina. Uh, I think there are a few goalies kind of lowering above the pack, but for me, I would give it to Kevin Lankinen. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky has been really good, really, really good. And so is Mark andre Fleury, but Kevin Lankinen has been as good as them with a very difficult workload. The Blackhawks are still a pretty weak team defensively, and he's faced extremely high degree of difficulty in terms of high danger chances and just shots. Like there's no goalie that gets peppered like Kevin Lankin, and he's still being this good. Very similar to Connor Hellebuck last year. So to me, he's having kind of a Hellebuck season, which is amazing. He'd be my number one guy, followed by Vasilevsky, followed by Fleury. What say you, Ryan? Yeah, in order, I would go Vasilevsky um, because, you know, he is the best goal saved above average. 
uh, in the NHL right now by a, a pretty good margin over Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury would be my second. And then Lankinen uh, would be third. I, I believe he's third on that list. And, and as you mentioned, he's obviously had a fantastic year. And then Chris Dreger would be my, my honorable mention in Florida, you know, another guy. And, and it's kind of funny, you know, when you look at guys, particularly with Vasilevsky and Fleury, you say like, oh, well, they play behind really good teams. And then you say, well, you know, is Florida really good defensively? Well, when Bobrovsky's in net, you know, he's giving up like two goals more per game than Dreger. So I think that bodes well for Dreger's case that you can sort of look side by side and say that guy's carrying the mail for them. Um, and yeah, Lankinen, obviously a, a fantastic option as well. But that would be my sort of like top three, top four right now. That's interesting. You know, like if, if I'm voting right now, today, right now at this minute, like this could all change in a week or two, as we know, because we talked about it with goalies. Um, to me, I, th- I think the sentimental pick, I'd go with the sentimental pick at this point, And that's Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, you know, I mean, this is the one thing that's missing from his resume. Uh, as far as Hall of Fame credentials, I think it would probably, it would probably get him in if he, if he won that this year. Um, he may get in even if he doesn't win it, but, but I think this, that would be one of those things. I just, I just, I just like the story and I, I like the, I like the, the comeback and I like the way he's, uh, he's handled everything <laughs> that's come his way throughout his whole career. So that, that would be probably, there'd probably be a bit, fair bit of sentiment involved in that vote if I were voting, uh, you know, but then you've always got the backup and, and that's Vasilevsky, right? Cause you know, he's going to be good. You know, he's going to pile up a bunch of wins. He's, he's going to play a ton of games. You know, he's, he's probably going to play, I don't know, high forties, I would think, you know, if they play 56, right. So, you know, he's kind of your safe, backup plan B guy if 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 Marc-Andre Fleury falters or if Kevin Lankinen falters so yeah I mean I think those three guys are in the top but to me I think this is one of those years where it's so crazy and so unpredictable that you kind of go for the the good story too and this one's a really good story Mm -hmm, for sure uh next question is from the grass is always greener and the grass asks with almost half the NHL where uh, or, or award. I'm, I'm misreading the word here. Or no, it just says aware. So that's on you. The grass is always greener. That's your typo, man. Uh, with almost half the NHL award voting committee being Canadians, do you foresee North Division players taking on more awards this year due to the regional coverage bias? I don't think so because historically the PHWA, there's always an effort to adjust the weighting year to year to make sure that there's balance among uh, every market being represented properly. So I'm sure that if, if, if necessary, those adjustments will be made again. And if you look at the pattern, there's never really been a, a bias toward voting for players on Canadian teams. The bias that you've seen is regional markets. It's not, it's not where you're, it's not where you're from in terms of your country. It's where the, the, the team that you cover is. And because I think there's a little, there's a political thing where it's almost like a beat reporter wants to get close to a, a team and a player. So they throw a guy number five on their ballot or, you know, the worst example I remember is Yanni Gord being voted first for the Calder trophy when the year that Matt Barzell had 85 points, which is absolutely absurd. But I think that's the more common trend you've seen. It's more that people tend to be biased toward their local market, not toward their country. So I'm not worried about it at all, especially because a lot of the Canadian writers are the international chair, including us. We're all part of the international committee. We don't represent any one market. We represent the entire league. So I don't know. I'm not worried at all. What say you, Mr. Kennedy? Yeah, I'm not worried. You know, 
just look at this podcast today. We were just talking about the Vesna, which, as Matt pointed out, we don't actually vote on, but we do vote on goalie all-stars. Uh, none of the goalies we talked about play in the North. Um, you know, Earlier on, we were talking about Patrick Kane potentially winning the Hart Trophy. Uh, he doesn't play in the North either. Um, and, and maybe because... You know, we at the Hockey News cover the whole league. Maybe we're not, you know, the the best examples, but there are enough of us uh, and and people like us in the industry that vote that I think you're you're going to see a pretty normal um, range of votes. You know, I, I I guess the only thing would be when it comes to say the Hart Trophy, the fact that like McDavid and Austin Matthews are going to be piling up either points, goals, or both, um, maybe that helps them in the grand scheme of things because they're playing in the North Division, which is a little more wide open. Um, but otherwise, I, I think you're going to see um, pretty much status quo, which is, you know, the best players are going to win. Yeah, I, th- I think you touched on something, Ryan. And, and I think if anything gets skewed, it's going to be because of the North division and the way that the games are played there and the quality of competition that a lot of these guys are facing. I mean, we're not going to know how good these teams are until they start playing other teams, which isn't going to be until the conference finals. So, um, you know, if, if you do buy into the theory that the North division doesn't play defense, I mean, they've certainly got last time I checked, they were, they were scoring more goals than any other division by a fairly wide margin. Uh, um, you know, if you, if you buy into that theory, then it does skew things because guys are, you know, padding their numbers and, and, and getting better numbers in the North division than they would have in other divisions. So, yeah, but I, I really don't think there's going to be a bias. I mean, there's still only eight Canadian teams, seven Canadian teams, and they, they only get a certain number of voters on each team that I think the NHL, P, the uh, PHWA has done a great job over the last decade of really sort of widening the voter base, you know, making sure there's a lot of different voters from every different market, um, you know, having, uh, you know, increasing the number of voters so that, you know, uh, uh, one, one or two, you know, crazy ones don't carry as much weight, that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, for me, you know, I live in Canada, I watch a lot of the Canadian games, I watch a lot of every game, but uh, all the games, but I mean, I wrote a column last week that said, Patrick, Patrick Kane's my MVP. Yeah. Fight me. You know, Patrick <laughs> Kane's my MVP right now. Like, <laughs> and, and, and you know what? And, and in a way, maybe it almost even hurts those guys because part of the reason why I'm saying Pat, Patrick Kane's my MVP is that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have each other. Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews have each other, but Patrick Kane's off doing this with nobody, mm-hmm. you know? So maybe, maybe it's a vote splitting thing, or maybe, you know, maybe people take that into account too much. I don't know. But I don't think it's going to be a, uh, an issue. For sure. And one thing that I assume, you know, a lot of readers wouldn't know is the PHWA, what they do is certain years people get taken out of the vote. So like your votes don't count. Not, it doesn't happen to, it never happened to us because we're international, but for local markets, sometimes it's like, oh, this is not my year to be a voter. You get rotated yeah. out to make sure that there's a balance, right? So we'll do two more. Uh, listener questions, then we'll do the rapid fire game. This one's from Stevie Dubs. Stevie Dubs is Andre Kopitar Hall of Famer. I'd say not necessarily by my own standard, which is, you know, are you one of the best in the world for five years or more? But by the established standard, I'd say yes. He's going to have two Selkies at least, two Stanley Cups at least. He's been top four in assists, uh, top 10 in assists four times. He'll have a thousand points. So he'll check all of those Bernie Federico boxes. <laughs> like in, I always use Bernie Federico as like the baseline for who can get in. And I think Kopitar has had a better career than Bernie Federico. So Kopitar's in. 
Uh, what say you can? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think that I, to me, he's a borderline hall of famer to me. He's one of those guys that I, you know, I wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't upset me. I, I wouldn't find it egregious that he's in the hall of fame. Um, and he's, and he, and he probably is going to get there no matter what I think. Um, I think he's, he's probably going to, um, he's probably by the end of his career is going to have a hall of fame career and will get in. And I don't, I don't have a huge problem with him getting in. Um, in fact, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, two Selkies, a Bing, two cups, um, never a first or second team all-star, um, you know, and Selkie and Bing, well, Bing isn't, you know, that's what it is. Right. But, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think at some point, you know, I think he is going to be in the hall of fame. I think he's probably borderline, but he's not one of those guys where I'd be like, Oh my God, this is, this is egregious. You know, mm. look at Sprague Cleghorn here, slandering the lady Bing trophy. Um, <laughs> no, but no, I, I actually completely agree. Yeah. Borderline, but um, probably in, I mean, my only question is, you know, I, I think the voting is probably going to get more sophisticated in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And there's going to be a bit of a log jam of players more deserving than the guys that are in there already. So you say like, okay, Kopitar should be in there, but you know, we know Crosby will be there. Malkin will be there. Bergeron should be there. Taves and Kane should be there. Dowdy should probably be there. You know, how many spots do we have if we're only putting in, you know, three, four players a year? Um, that's going to be interesting to me in the future, but I, I think he's, yeah, he, he's, he's over the Federico line as, oh, uh, as Matt said. Yeah. Uh, we'll do one more. This is from the, the guy that I keep calling like the question master or question King, Matt Bowringer. Every couple of weeks he throws in a, an off the wall question. I enjoy it. Uh, this one is if they were to make a hockey version of space jam today, taking into account talent, personality and relevance to the NHL sport as a whole, who'd you want uh, to see as a main character? Ovechkin, Crosby, McDavid, also hashtag fire Kruger. Uh, this is, this is weird. Okay, Matt, because I so saw, I, I saw space jam on my first date, 1996. So that was 25 years ago. I didn't watch it again until three days ago. I watched space jam this weekend. Steven says I was born that year. I literally watched space jam three days ago. And then we get a question about space jam. What the hell are you, are you watching me? Are you, are you living in my house? That's weird, right? Uh, so it's weird. One thing I noticed watching that movie is Jordan, Michael Jordan, surprisingly, he's really wooden. His performance is really wooden and bad in that movie. It's going to be much different when LeBron does it for Space Jam 2. So if you want to duplicate the Jordan performance, then you can go Connor McDavid, just kind of reacting to everything very woodenly. If you want the best performance actor-wise, you got to go P.K. Subban. The problem is Subban is not that relevant right now. So I think the best blend of talent and also being willing to go all in and perform is David Pasternak. So I think David Pasternak would be my overall pick for Space Jam, the hockey version. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, this is funny. I had never seen Space Jam until about maybe like two, three months ago. And, uh, you know, it's a pandemic. So you're watching just everything. So my wife and I are like, let's watch Space Jam. Let's see how it is. And I completely agree with you. Like Michael Jordan could not act at all. It was very clear that, uh, you know, part of his agreement was that there's got to be a lot of golfing involved for no reason. Um, 
And so, yeah, immediately I thought Connor McDavid because, you know, he is the best player in the world right now. And um, as far as I know, he is not a thespian. Um, so I, I think Connor McDavid would give you the right combination of kind of happy to be there, but also is the best player in the world. So it, it all sort of, he, you know, he fits the mold. Never seen the movie. Don't know what it's about. Um, but I, I'm going to say it should be Wayne Gretzky. And if you don't believe me, just go to YouTube, guys, and call up Wayne Gretzky on The Young and the Restless. And you will see just Something. sort of Lawrence Olivier caliper <laughs> acting in that in that scene with Nikki the Stripper from young and the restless so and, and you know the saturday night live performance as well he's yeah. certainly got the chops he's got the experience um he was pretty good at playing hockey he everybody knows well people who you know a lot of non-hockey people know who he is so i guess i'll go with gretzky good it's funny i, I had such a loaded question for my daughter she was trying to decide between babe and space jam and i was like do you want to watch uh, talking farm animals or space basketball with monsters. She was like, uh, space basketball with monsters. <laughs> it was pretty unfair. Like I really loaded that question. Uh, okay, Ken, let's end it off with the rapid fire game. I am the first answer, which I hate. Ryan, you are the second answer. We are ready to play rapid fire. Okay, so I'm gonna start with a, a musical um, intro. Wrong song, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like yeah. Catherine O'Hara's husband at the Golden Globes. Jesus, wrong song again. Okay, here we are. <laughs> Boo. Oh, little little Rick Astley? Okay. Just wait. <laughs> so is what is the question? Don't Name the artist. Jam to it, boys. <laughs> oh boy. Getting into it. That's a meme. That's a meme. So is this a question or we just stay committed to the bit? But it, I think it's it's play it's runs course. Here we go. I don't know where Ken's going with this. Give Are we just going to listen to the whole song? Give you up, Matt? Yeah, never going to give you up. Or is it Rick Astley? Is that what, the question? Well, what's the next? What's the next line? Oh, never going to let you down. Right, Ryan. Yep. Never gonna run around, right? And desert you, Matt? Uh, I don't remember. Ryan? Never gonna say goodbye. No, it's make you or cry. Make you cry. Yeah. Say goodbye and hurt you. Those are the eight things your cat is never gonna do. Tell a lie's in there too. Yeah, did I say tell a lie? I didn't say tell a lie. I'm not sure. Yeah, I yeah. think I did. Anyways, yeah, that didn't go as well as I thought it would. That's you know, you went for it. All right. It's like you, you definitely, you, you're like Trevor Zegers trying to score his first NHL goal with the Michigan. Man, that was great. Yeah. I know you hate that play because you hate fun, Matt. Okay. No, oh, it's just dangerous to the goalie's eyes. All right. That's yeah, all. Okay. Um, all right. This is a bit of a trick question. How many times has Montreal won the Stanley Cup? Well, it's 23 or 24. Uh, I'm going to say 24. If you're counting the the OG one, so that's my answer. Twenty four. Mm. 
Yeah, I guess I'll say 24. Got both of you. Got both of you. I didn't even think that you guys would bite on that. I said, how many times has Montreal won the Stanley Cup? The answer, according to the NHL guide and record book, is 44. If you can believe it. Including challenges. Yeah, Montreal's won 24. The Montreal Victorias won eight. The Montreal Wanderers won four. The Montreal Shamrocks won two. The Montreal Amateur Athletic Association won four. And the Montreal Maroons won two. I would have thought you guys would have remembered the Maroons, but... It crossed my mind. I was like, it's a trick question, but then I just went for it. It is. Yeah. It was exactly. Okay. okay so we all saw the golden helmets at Vegas war. They, they mm. actually won with it last night. They came back yeah. and, and won in overtime. So they've won with those God awful helmets. What, what in your mind is the worst fashion faux pas in NHL history? Is it like Cooper alls? Is it like the fish sticks uniform? Is it, you know, the, the white skates with the California golden seals? What is it? Uh, I think it's, I'm just going to say every New York Islanders jersey on whole, even though I, I like the fishermen, but if you look at just the body of work, there's just been a, a, just a, a nonstop parade of bad uniforms in that franchise's history. Those orange ones are just awful. They're like, some look like arena football, even just the Islanders core logo, just an NY. Like I, I'm, I'm not a fan of any team that just uses letters as part of their logo. Like I want something more creative. So I'm just going to say everything in the Islanders kind of palette has been weak sauce for me. Okay, Ryan, what's the crime against fashion for you? I'm going Cooperalls because it denied an essential part of the hockey uniform, which is the hockey sock. Okay, I'll give that to you. I'm going to go with Mike Foligno's helmet. Oh, good one. Yeah, yeah, that was bad. Idiots. That was really bad. Okay, Uh, where are we at now? Um, So we've done, oh yeah, okay. Best line in Caddyshack. Uh, I'm not a Caddyshack guy. I haven't seen it for so long that even though I'm a big movie guy, I just haven't seen Caddyshack for ages. So I don't remember a specific line. You don't remember any lines from it? Not a single one? Wow. No, okay. it's been, it's been too long since I've watched it. That's yeah. like my Wes Anderson one. I didn't even know who that guy was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's weird, eh? All I'm, right. I'm disappointed yeah. in myself, but it's just been too long. <laughs> What's yours, Ryan? So again, this is weird because I just watched Caddyshack again <laughs> last week. And uh, my wife was there with me playing Animal Crossing on the Switch. And at the end, she said, what was that movie actually about? And I was like, I don't know. It's just a vehicle for like Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and Rodney Dangerfield to say funny stuff on a golf course. But my favorite line actually comes from Judge Smales when uh, Danny says, oh, I I don't know if I can afford to go to law school. And he says to him, the world needs ditch diggers, Danny. Ice cold. The world needs ditch diggers too. My favorite line that also involves Judge Smell when he's talking to Chevy Chase and he says, you know, doctor, whatever his name is, pretty good golfer. And, you know, I'm no slouch myself. And Chase looks at him and goes, don't sell yourself short, Judge Smell. You're a tremendous slouch. <laughs> but there's so yeah. many. I mean, like it's a shooting yeah. fish girl. Okay, so for the last one. Okay, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to ask here. Okay. Would you rather have, if you had to have be afflicted with one thing in life, would you rather have just one nipple or two belly buttons? Hmm. I'm going to say I'll take the two belly buttons because that might be kind of cute. If if you walked around with one nipple, people might just be really grossed out by you. But like being, (laughs) being a little two belly button man might be kind of, people might think it's adorable uh, compared to the weird nipple thing. So 
I'm going with double belly buttons. Gotcha. I'm going one nipple because I accrue enough belly button lint as it is. I don't need twice as much. Ooh, but I love finding belly button lint. Hey, we're getting off the rails here, boys. Yeah, I'm going to go with belly button lint. The other one I had was if you had to walk around for the rest of your life choosing between always having dry, itchy eyes or a constantly running nose, which would you take? Oh, that's tough. <laughs> I'm going to go the nose, I guess, because the eyes, at least you got to be able to see, even though the nose would be really annoying. Ugh. Oh, be mm. terrible. Both, both yeah. are brutal. I'll go with eyes. I don't mind rubbing my eyes. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably go with eyes too, because like, can you imagine like Kleenex on your nose like that all the time? You'd like, you know, you'd have no, like it, your nose would just be a big bloody mess. So mm -hmm. I, I'm going to go with the eyes. So that's it for me, boys. All right. All right. That concludes probably our weirdest rapid fire ever. It's going to be a tough bar to clear next week for me, but I'll do my best. Thank you for watching. Thanking, thank you. I can't even talk. That's how weirded out I am. Thank you for enjoying this weird podcast. We'll be back next week. Go watch, go watch uh, Space Jam. It's on Netflix. And Caddyshack. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.